0: the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth go to shipstation.com and use code kara to sign up for your free 60-day trial that's shipstation.com code kara use code kara for a free 60-day trial that's shipstation.com promo code kara be highly aware ask really We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go! Let's go! Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Stephanie Malik here, who is the founder and CEO. Of Smalick Enterprises, but she is just this amazing, amazing CEO, and more than anything, just a wealth of information around crisis management. And so, we've all been in situations—hopefully uh, not too bad—where uh, we're going to bring Stephanie in, but we can all be educated a lot for ourselves and and you know for our our business maybe that we're working in are, you know, about what this means when we're talking to a somebody who needs some help. Maybe we can even send them in Stephanie's direction. Hopefully not, but you never know. So uh, Stephanie is one of the world's most sought-after crisis management experts, and she is the woman behind the headlines of many of the high-profile celebrities, politicians, and athletes that you may have Heard without naming any names, and in addition to her crisis work, she is a high performance consultant uh, to many Fortune 500 executives. So, uh, so many accolades behind her uh, that it's it's almost too many to even name. Um, but one of them was the 2016 CEO World Awards. She won that, which is uh, so amazing. 2019 Women. Uh, Women World Awards too, and just incredible. So Stephanie, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Kara, for inviting me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit. I always like to start off my podcast by asking, who was Steph as a kid? That's a, you know, that's interesting. I, I
1: had a very tumultuous childhood. My father drowned when I was very small. Uh, my mother had a nervous breakdown and she never recovered didn't have really much of a childhood because I was busy caring for my younger sibling um, so much of the time. And when I was about 15, Kara, I got emancipated and was fully 100% completely um, on my own at 15 and a half years old.
0: Wow. 15 years old. And where were you living? Northern California,
1: like an agricultural town in Northern California. So
0: that was interesting too. (laughs) Amazing. So what did you do? I mean, you're 15 and a half. You're on your own. Uh, and so what like how did you survive?
1: Yeah, so that's okay. So so this is really funny. We we actually just were having this conversation a couple weeks ago. So I went before the judge and my aunt, my older aunt came with me, my mother's oldest sister, and essentially validated everything that I was saying, that my mom was just you know wasn't recovering and she was you know significantly abusive and and we needed to do something else and so kara the, the the judge left for 15 minutes and he came back and he granted immediate emancipation and he said in all of my years on the bench which i think was 27 years at the time he said i've never ever done this without without my team you know without my social workers or without people vetting this out and he's like, I believe in your story so much. He's like, I'm not going to make you go through anything else. He's like, We're granting it. And I remember walking out. And I'll never forget this, Kara. I was walking out of the courtroom, and I was so excited. And and then it, like, I was walking, and I got into my aunt's car, and and all of a sudden, I had this this flood of of complete nervousness. Like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Like, yeah, like, w- can you rent an apartment when you're 15? Like, you know, can not like I, I just, I almost passed out. It was so overwhelming to me. Like how will I ever get my driver's license? How am I going to rent an apartment? I was already working. I was working two jobs. Um, and I was going to school on independent study. So those were worked out, but just the actual like, Oh, credit or bank or just like things like that. A lot of people took chances on me. A lot of Mm -hmm. people after I went in and said, here's my story. You know, it was month to month for the first two or three months until I proved that I could do it on time. I made a ton of mistakes, Kara. Wow. I didn't know how to do like utility bills or like, you know, there was no cell phones or anything at the time. I just didn't know how to set a lot of things up. Um, And quite frankly, Kara, they didn't know how to set up for an emancipated minor. So Mm -hmm. they weren't really sure because it kept kicking out of the system when my birth date would be there. So it was a giant learning curve for everyone.
0: Wow. And it's not like you had anybody around you that had been through the same situation. I can no say, here's one. what you do, Stephanie. Wow.
1: Yeah. No, you know, no Facebook, no, no, like no internet. Like there's no place to go look for, for resources. And, you know, quite frankly, Kara, I think that even if there would have been, I don't necessarily think I would have done that because I was so embarrassed and ashamed.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. This is amazing. What were your jobs what, that you were working at? You mentioned two Okay. Jobs. Are you ready for this? Yeah. You, you Backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just fifty cents per week for your first year.
1: And me are probably gonna be the only ones that know this. <laughs> so I was working at Contempo Casuals. Okay. And and I was working at Foster Farms Chicken. And I was promoted in four weeks at Foster Farms Chicken because my manager passed away.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. And <laughs> wow. That's that's amazing. So you're in high school. And you're, and did you continue in high school? How did you work these jobs?
1: Yeah. So I had an amazing, amazing, amazing soul. His name was Chuck Vidal and he was later became the superintendent of the schools. But at the time he was my principal, you know, Kara, I was doing everything wrong. Where was I going? Like yeah. nobody had gone to college in my family. I was first generation here. Like what would, like if I could just make it out of high school without getting pregnant, which all my friends were doing. Like I was really going to make it. And I remember I purposely answered a test wrong and I heard over the speaker, my name come over the speaker and it was him. And he called me into his office and he said, so what's your plan? And I said, no plan. What do you mean? I just want to get out of here. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And I think about it now, Carrot, and he put me in his car. I mean, imagine that. Imagine somebody putting your kid in the car and driving them. He put me in his car and he took me to the independent study place where apparently you do and I didn't know anything about this, you do all of your work by packet once a week. So you get everything. You have a teacher that you can call. Remember, no video. You have a teacher you can call if you have questions. And then you drop your packet off next Friday, pick up that packet. And then the following week, and it's just kind of this cyclical thing that happens. What I was able to do is I was able to finish three years of high school in a year and a half, finishing by the time I was 16 and a half years old. Wow.
0: that's That's amazing. And what did you do like right after that, that you were just working at this point and trying to pay your rent? and Yeah, I was working and my rent was
1: $236 a month and my utilities were, you know, another 50 and a bus pass was like $85 and, um, you know, I didn't really have time for friends. And, and again, I, I say I didn't have time for friends. I was embarrassed. I wasn't trying to hang out with anybody who came from a strong family unit, Um, I was just really hanging out by myself with really nobody around, checking in on my brother as often as possible. I was like, somebody talked me into college and I was like, oh gosh, there's no way I would be able to do that. And I ended up applying. They showed me how to apply and I applied. And I chose the school that was the furthest California school away, which was Long (laughs) Beach State. And I took a, I had $196 in my bank account and I took a Greyhound bus Um, and I got a penny saver, if you remember what those things are. Yes, yes. And I rented a room from a elderly woman who had, n- this, is, this is absolutely a thousand percent true, that I had nine bloodhounds that lived in the house okay. and a waterbed.
0: This is, and a waterbed. That's a stair. And a waterbed. Wait, so did you get, I mean, I would think that you would get financial aid from um, schools for housing or
1: no? Yeah. You know what? That's so, that's such a great, your questions are amazing. And you know what I love is I haven't been asked these questions. <laughs> so I love the detail because you would think that I would be able to yeah, get help. Yeah. Okay. But if you remember, cause I know you have kids, you remember the FAFSA, right? Yeah. So your, your oldest daughter, you could not possibly be supporting, but they still ask her what your parents are making. They still oh, ask you those type of things. And ev- even though I'm emancipated and my father's gone, um, my, the way that it worked, my mom had a full-time job. My grandparents were land developers. So I got absolutely nothing. And I didn't know about like the grant, like the Pell grants or anything else like that. At that time, nobody was going, Oh, well, why don't you apply for this over here? They were just like, no, you get no financial aid.
0: Yeah. That's crazy, and you yeah. should have been completely qualifying for that, so that is uh crazy, so you instead went with the bloodhound lady and the water bed and uh, amazing super super I fun did. so you get so you go through uh I would imagine working through while you're going to school and and you get through, and then what happens after school so for some amazing
1: reason I decided to marry an unemployed bodybuilder because that was a super, super great choice. And so I'm like, yay, that's what I'm going to do. He loves me so much. And so I marry him. He quits his job two weeks after we're married. We're married for 11 and a half months, long enough to have a beautiful, beautiful little angel. Um, He leaves and I say, you know, you can see her anytime you want, you know, I definitely want you to be around as much as you can. And the next day I get served with, he wants full custody of her. We go through the whole custody battle, Kara, and I end up getting her full time, but I have to pay him alimony. Oh my
0: God. At age, what, <laughs> 22 years old? 22. Yes, yeah. yes. Twenty
1: and, and he's 32 and I'm 22 and I'm paying him alimony. Oh my God. Crazy,
0: crazy. <laughs> yeah, so awesome. I mean, you have been through it for sure. So you're you know, you get done. And now what was, what was your first job then out of, out of college? So my first job was in college actually. And I started
1: off, this is actually, this is hysterical. I started off as, do you, do you know what Bobby McGee's is? hmm Yeah. Okay. So I started off as a character, um, Cinderella person at Bobby McGee's while I was in college. Um, quickly realized I didn't have that amazingly outgoing personality, Bobby McGee's Um, was
0: a restaurant, by the way. Yes, a character
1: restaurant. So you would go there and you'd get served by these funny little characters and most of them with very amazing, outgoing personalities, not like me. (laughs) Yeah. So I moved into a bookkeeping position and I became a bookkeeper. Um, The bookkeeper that was there was getting ready to go out on maternity leave and we had a great relationship. And she said, hey, look, Steph, this is going to really serve you a lot later. So I ended up being a bookkeeper at Bobby McGee's Cara for almost, I think, a year and a half or so. Um, I also worked as a full-time server at a coffee shop that was a 24-hour coffee shop that was right next to the main strip of bars. And I took the late shift so I could really pretty much live off tips, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I did that. And then I took as many odd jobs at the time. The way that it worked in college was, you; it wasn't like a... Um, it wasn't like a studio I'm sorry a student portfolio at school. It was more like they would just take a unit or two off if you worked a certain amount of time or if you corrected papers or things like that. So those were kind of my first three jobs whenever I was down there.
0: That's wild now, how did you get into crisis management? How did you go from you know being a single mom, a young single mom and and working even as a bookkeeper and like how where did the bridge come into? working in crisis management eventually.
1: Yeah. So, so um, I don't know if you know this or not, Kara, but I I worked in Silicon Valley and I was, um, I held many directorships and many vice presidencies um, throughout, you know, I was a part of 11 global startups. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on the deal team of six of those, did tons of mergers and acquisitions, dealt with VCs a ton. Um, Some of them worked, some of them didn't, some of them got absolved, some of them went public. Um, and in 2002, I started my own consulting firm in San Francisco and, uh, Tom Siebel was my first client. And in that quarter we did professional services for like Honeywell and, um, Boeing. And we basically were another arm for Tom to be able to use professional services at a, at a little bit of a, an easier price platform for his mm-hmm. clients. So we did that. We quickly grew to a multi, multi million dollar firm. We grew to 28, um, global locations, settled on about 22 global locations, had, you know, upwards of six to 900 employees, um, had giant clients like Nike, Motorola, American Express, you know, American Airlines. And I did it for 16 years. I did it, you know, I had my oldest and then adopted two more and then had my youngest. And I was on an airplane and, and you know, Kara, it's amazing. Like my little one has been to 22 countries and my oldest one has been to 40. So it's such an amazing opportunity. It's incredible. But I was so exhausted and so burned out on tech. I was so burned out on. We're not going to be the low cli- uh, the low price leader. We're not going to. We're just. We're just. I don't want to, what it takes to compete right now in this area, it's just not, I'm all about service. I'm all about relationships. I'm not about pushing the number. But,
0: but inside of these companies, even before you mentioned Silicon Valley, what was your role there that got you, what was the bridge that got you into crisis management? Because obviously, like, I mean, what was kind of that first role where you knew you were good at it? Like we're so so
1: yeah, yeah, that I mean, so it wasn't it wasn't really that. It was all relationships. So my mm-hmm. my jobs were like, you know, director of business development, director of lead gen, director of strategic alliances, high tech partnerships, director of white white labeling, um VP of sales, VP of global sales. Um, you know, so it wasn't that so much that it was the actual inner workings of after I started my consulting firm. It was seeing how the other companies worked. So it was understanding now kind of understanding budget, understanding where the budget gets pulled from. It was understanding how people, um, send out RFPs, how they get RFPs, what makes an executive freeze? Like how do they know that they can spend five, 10, $15 million? Mm -hmm. So what started happening is how this happened was completely accidentally. I, which is never what you want for a business model. I was working, I was in Australia And, um, I started noticing we were doing work there. We were doing an SAP integration there and I started noticing kind of the best way I can say it is kind of a little bit of catty executives back and forth within the company. Mm -hmm. And I was watching their, their body language. I was watching how they were interacting with each other. And I remember I walked over to the woman and I said, I really loved her a lot. She was great. And I said, Hey, can I, can I grab you really quick? And can I just make one suggestion? And she was like, yeah. So we walked outside and I kind of coached her for 10 or 15 minutes. She called me back on the following week and said, oh my God, it completely worked. You wouldn't believe. And so she started telling me these different things. So she started just within the company referring me to a bunch of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Finally, I was ready to actually take a step back from my consulting industry and start a real performance coaching company. Real. Mm-hmm. Not come sit on my, my chair and let me tell you how wonderful you are, but like real, like what's your measurement of success? Let's go. Okay. Mm-hmm. In doing so, I got a few clients. And I ended up uncovering a massive scandal, Hmm. massive. So misappropriated jet hours, misappropriated expense accounts, um, sometimes two, three, four, five lunches in one day, all on different credit cards. And so I was like, gosh, surely I have this wrong. And after I did about two or three weeks of of research, I went to my, my contact who had brought me in to coach, who was actually a member of the board. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't even know how to tell you this. I don't, I don't have any idea. I just, I just don't even know what to say. But right now, you know, we're looking at $3.6 million. And oh my God. he looked at me, Kara, with the most dead serious face. And he said, fix it, click. This and I was is, like,
0: wait, what, wait, what? Wait, yeah. What, what just happened?
1: <laughs> what is it? Even, what, how would one go about fixing that? <laughs> like, what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> so... I was like, fix it. So I remember calling a couple of friends of mine who were attorneys and all they did was laugh. Like they they were just like hysterical. They're like, oh my God, yeah. you're so funny. And I was like, no, no, he was really serious when he said yeah. fix it. So I called him back and I just said, hey, what does fixing it look like? And he said, there's nobody in this country that I know who's better connected than you. I really, really need your help. And so I said, but you understand something? Like one thing I do know for sure and working in consulting for a long time is, if I can see three, if I see 3 million, it's 30 million. Yeah. Like, it's not three. And he was like, don't exaggerate. And he's like, just go do what you need to do. And he, he gave me a credit card to, so I could hire a few forensic people, a few experts.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: was $36.2 million.
0: Yeah. That's wild. Wow. It's crazy. So what, ha- what ended up happening in the end? With that So one in particular.
1: I ended up unwinding it in hundred and twenty six days and what that means by unwinding it is the person who had misappropriated most of the th- the stuff, Kara had um, had holdings in three co- three different countries. And so I hired a amazing amazing team. The first thing I did was get buy-in from the gentleman who actually did it. Mm -hmm. I had a long conversation with him. Um, I had another conversation with the gentleman who brought me in and I said, look, I have two requirements. The first one is you can't fire him and I'll explain that to you later. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one is, is we have to get him and his family resource help. Um, After a lot of convincing, he actually did give me what I needed. Um, We ended up getting the entire amount paid back in 126 days plus 13% restitution. Wow.
0: That's amazing. Quietly.
1: Quietly, no media, no kind of anything at all. The attorneys jumped in, we had we had asset liquidators, we had asset protectors, we had family therapists, we had a lot of resources and I got back and I felt so good about what I had done for this family and for the company. And I just said, hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. He goes, oh, we're not done, we're not done. And I was like, what does that even mean? And he's like, Stephanie, do you know how many companies need this? And I'm like, no, actually I don't. I I really just don't know how many people need this. And then that's kind of how the crisis side started. So in five years, we've had 39 clients. You would know you, Kara, would probably know 25 of them. We've only had one client ever get to media,
0: ever. That's amazing. Wow. Super, super crazy. Do you find yourself in court uh, with some of these people? Or do you, I mean, obviously you like to not get to court, but do you ever find that you are? So I wouldn't say court.
1: We do mandatory settlement conferences. Um, and we do a lot with private judges, so I wouldn't say court is in public. Um, I would say that there are public transactions that happen along the way. Like there is, you know, where you have to go in and you have to, you know, file a motion. There, there are things that you have to do along the way. We don't, we don't negate any of the agencies, like the CIA or the uh, the FBI or the the um, of course, SEC. Yeah. We still, u- we everybody's utilized, but it just isn't a, a private manner in how we move them through the crisis journey.
0: That's amazing. How do you tell if somebody's lying since you've probably dealt with you know, some of the best that are out there? I mean, do you feel like uh, you can actually have you ever been tricked and, and fooled by people saying, "Oh, I didn't do it." No way. No.
1: So the story goes like this. So you know I'm working with a lot of very, 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 very high-hitting, high-powered white-collar attorneys, and you know, with being a white-collar attorney and being really good, there's a massive ego. Mm -hmm. massively huge ego. So the first year was rough, Kara. It was rough. I mean, they were just like, you know, who the hell do you think you are? Finish law school if this is what you want to do. And I was like, no, I don't want to finish law school. I don't want to have to operate within the confounds of the things that you have to do. I I don't want to do that. And so we were working on this one specific case and it was probably maybe six months to a year in. And I was a little imposter syndrome. I was a little bit, because I was in the only woman in the room. There was 11 attorneys, you know 8 of them you, they walk outside and there's paparazzi waiting for them every single day and this client we were we we were we were there I was brought in by another another one of the co-counsel and the client was just lying like just lying and all the attorneys were taking notes and taking notes and and so I I asked one I said can we pause for a second I took the lead attorney out and I said I said, "Can you do me a favor?" I said, I-, "I think you're an amazing attorney. Like I really, really do. But you're not asking the right questions because this guy is a CTO of a company. So when you ask him about his compensation, he's thinking about he's thinking about his salary and he's thinking about his bonus. He's not thinking about warrants on advisory boards. He's not thinking about you know um, unrealized stock. He's not thinking about like all of these different things. Can you ask this question?" And so he asked the question, and the guy had a completely different you know twenty million dollar answer in this in this conversation. So the the I remember the attorney turned around and he looked at me and he was like, "Oh, like, oh, she actually knows something." And so then like 20 minutes later into the meeting, um I asked the attorney if we can just take a step outside really quick. And I say, "I know you don't care cuz I know he's paying you by the hour, but he's lying to you about every single thing. Ask him these three questions." And so he's like, "Are you a 100% sure?" And I said, "No, I'm like 10,000% sure." And so he walked in and he asked him the question and the guy just started sweating, just sweating. And I'm like, wow. are you okay, Mr. So-and-so? Can I get you some water? Like, is everything yes. okay? And oh like, my God. he was, and the and from then on, Kara, like they would stop things and be like, can you grab Steph? We need to know if he's lying. Like, can you grab her? That is I just know. And, you know, we had Mark Bowden on not too long ago and Mark and I were talking about body language and we, and I like to always check myself with the real, true experts. You know, the credentialed experts.
0: Stephanie has a and, podcast, by the way. She's talking about so. Uh, yeah. That he she had it. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So so basically, Mark came on, and I said, "I'm just so excited to have you." And we started asking, and I said, "Mark, this is purely for me, not even for my listeners. But can I walk you through two or three scenarios?" And it was so refreshing, Kara. To, to, I had done it properly and I had done it correctly and I had done it in a way of creating commonality and normalcy and that's what you get when you have you know, sociopathic behavior sometimes is letting them know that you – there's a different way to walk people through this, mm-hmm. and so it was a great validator for me that I had actually done it properly. But I do it in every case, and thank goodness, as of right now, I haven't been bamboozled. Yeah,
0: that is amazing. It's it's so, uh, it, you know, it must be so interesting. What was your favorite story? I mean, you obviously not only work with companies, but you also work with celebrities and athletes. I mean, without naming names, what uh, what is uh, what was probably one of your favorite ones?
1: You know, I think my most favorite story is actually not a crisis story. This is actually a story where I came in for a i came in as a crisis coach, mainly for my resources and mainly because they believed I could handle this this person
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this person's career blew up so big in not in, in, in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have time to adjust in the middle of this going through a divorce, in the middle of this figuring out a custody um agreement, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember this happening, I was watching him very, very closely, Kara, and I started noticing that he was having some significant issues around executive function. Hmm. And I was watching him and watching him and watching him. And, and he had incredible EQ, but I, but just normal tasks, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting ready to go on stage and, and, and he's losing it like just normal things. So I ended up asking, um, his attorney, if we could mandate a psychological evaluation for learning differences and because in that way it would be protected. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we got it, a services, um, agreement for, for, for educational services for him, for him to be able to take this test for an executive and his IQ came back so low and he was working so hard and he was so good at what he was doing. And he was trying so incredible. This is a global company. This is a massive company. This is a multi, this is a billion dollar corporation. And I remember the day that I gave it to him and I said, I'm giving this to you, but then Pause, comma, okay, comma, and here's how we're going to handle it. And he burst into tears. He said, I don't have to hide it anymore. How did you know? Since you know, does everybody know? Like, it was such a vulnerable and such an authentic moment. That probably right there. I mean, what the what his company has done and what he's accomplished, and, you know, he's a multi-bazillionaire now, and the text messages that I get from him and the way Wild. that he was like, how did you spot that? And being able to coach him and his global team through that, and kind of bring them together and create connection and blow up sales, it, it would that was probably my favorite story.
0: So you not only talk about crisis management and and handle crisis management situations, but you also coach teams, as as you mentioned. So what do you think as as a leader? Uh, you know, you've maybe you've got CTOs in your company, CMOs in your company. This podcast. My podcast is all about founders and CEOs. I mean, what are the kind of the top tips that you would give to leaders about managing your team and and sort of how do you protect yourself from dealing with one of these people, right? That is got sort of other ideas about the way that the world works. than than, right? I love how you said that. Other ideas. It's (laughs) it's, uh, you know, I think I think more than anything you know, how do you protect yourself? Cause it's really, I think it's really hard to tell. I think a lot of these people and over the last 16 years, we've had a couple who are, you know, true sociopaths and, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's one in particular that is still out there all the time. And he basically, he fully believes that he has built hint and he oh, runs around and, awesome. and uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, he has his own troubles out there and that I won't get into. But it's just, you know, it's annoying to me. But I think more than anything, it's just they continue to go on and on. And, yeah. you know, what, what can you do really about these people or even when they're inside of your company and you, and you, you know, how do you, how do you protect yourself even before you know you have one of these people? I think it's a two-part question.
1: Yeah, so let me let's go back for one second. The the guy who's wreaking havoc with Hint, was he ever an employee? Yeah. Okay. So that kind of takes me to where um one of this this sounds this sounds okay, bear with me. This sounds absolutely ludicrous. Having a therapist or a psychologist trained in forensics mm-hmm. with a company as your size. And and I'm going to tell you, we've done this four times now and we've caught four different people four times. Hmm. So here's here's what it is. It's an active tip line, and basically, it's anonymous. And if you know somebody's um, wife is in the hospital, yeah, or or no, somebody's somebody's wife is in the hospital for poisoning, or you go, oh gosh, this wife just filed for divorce, or this husband just lost custody of the kids. It's big, triggering moments in people's lives that flip this switch. The other thing is, there's certain psychotic tendencies. And and obviously I'm not a doctor. I don't have any formal uh, training around this at all. I'm just letting you know my experience. There's, there's tendencies that happen within people. Like for example, like bipolar disorder Um, for men generally happens by the time they're 28 years old. And it's generally most often triggered by a significant life event. Hmm. So it's these type of things or, or with women, there's like all of these different trigger marks. So having the founder, and the CEO know that while this person is trained in forensic psychology or forensic um, methodologies, it's kind of also a person who can create coordination and who can create teams and who can create all these different things. So it's almost like a hidden jewel in your company. It's not like, Hey, there's the forensic psychologist over there in B12. When you do that, and then there's a tip line or there's a tip email where you can say, this is monitored every single day, and this is this is for um, suggestions, and this is for what are we doing really really well, and what are we doing not well, and monthly in a newsletter or monthly in a um, some sort of a town hall or something, whatever the founder CEO does, they say we've made these changes, and and you're not calling out who it is because you don't know, but you're like you're letting everybody know in the company that you're looking at this mailbox, mm-hmm. that this mailbox is being monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, when that started happening we caught 3 in 3 months and i you know i don't want to go into too much detail but one of them would have been very 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 dangerous there was a plan hmm. and um and and sadly the founder was a, was a woman hmm. and sadly he knew where all three of her children went to school hmm. um there was a lot of things that happened scary it is. It's terrifying. And then and then you're like, okay, well, how do you how do you stand up those people around you to to have some sort of protection? And so now I kind of mandated that with with people of very, very high visibility or people with very well-known brands. When we come in and we do um a high impact performance consulting gig, I say, what are you doing for protection? Where are your children? What is the tree? What's the communication tree to your kids? Mm-hmm. Um we handle all of that. We do cyber, we do personal, and we do brand. Um, because I want everybody to know it's their choice what they do at the end of the day, Kara, but sometimes they're not even thinking about that if that hasn't happened yet.
0: No, exactly. Wild. So how do you, as a leader then, part two of the question, how do you as a leader beyond, you know, setting this up, but are there certain things that you can do to sort of, you know, look at like if somebody is misappropriating funds or, I, I mean, is there anything beyond like Pay attention, you know, to to things like that. I mean, obviously, like you said, people are busy. And when you went to that uh, CEO way back when and and said, hey, it's three million, you know, it's like, I, I think more than anything, you start to look at what what the heck is going on here? Why didn't I see such a thing?
1: Everybody's so busy. I know. And you build relationships and you build trust. Um, I mean, people miss the smallest things, Kara. I, I'm, I, you know, I tell people, um, I just had lunch a few weeks ago with, with a CEO uh, locally, and I didn't like the way that the CIO was, was communicating in the meeting. Um,
0: mm-hmm. He wouldn't
1: look at me. He wouldn't answer any questions. He was looking down the whole entire time. And I know this guy. And I was like, there is something going on. And it turned out there was something going on. Um, when you see people every single day, I mean, you know, Kara, you know, raising kids, you see your kids every single day, but then you don't see somebody for three months and they look over and they're like, oh my gosh, they've gotten so much bigger or, oh, wow, did you lose weight? Because it's the first time they're seeing them for a long time. Be highly aware, ask really hard questions. I am my HR's worst nightmare. Like literally I am their worst nightmare, but don't work for the company. If you don't want to hear, you can ask me the same questions. Feel free to ask. I'm an open What's a hard
0: question? Name name a
1: hard hard question. Oh, I just had one last week. I said, what is going on for you? Here, let me tell you why I'm asking that question. Because last year you were managing my calendar. You were managing six crisis clients in three countries. You were managing all the bookings and all the financials and all of the reservations for myself and every single expert, and nothing got missed. Hmm. And now we are on three clients, all local all within the same state, uh, no experts, and you're missing everything. What is going on? My mom has cancer. My husband has a brain tumor. So interesting.
0: Yeah. There's always, always like something else behind. And it's true that it's like, if you don't ask these questions, a lot of times people won't actually disclose it. But if you just ask yeah. and you know-
1: And I, what- I think the other- I think the other thing too, Kara, is is the way you ask as well. Like, you know, not not recently, but but maybe three or four years ago, we had another founder who had like fifty three thousand dollars taken out of her personal her personal um, money that her executive assistant had access to, um, and she did this out of kindness because this 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 founder was traveling a ton and there was a book tour and everything else, so she took care of bills and you know, um, you know, horse feed and like just all the different things for the animals and, and stuff like that. And there was fifty three thousand dollars out, and she was she was hot. I mean, she I mean, because of course this person's been your assistant for many years, and I begged her. I sat down with her and I said, "Please, I'm going to ask you to handle it this way." And I know that was asking a ton. She was hurt, she was angry, she was sad, she was exposed. There was all of these things. But at the end of the day, Kara, she's the leader. Mm -hmm. She is the leader. She missed it. So I said, take a step back, and I want you to ask these questions. And I I said what would you need $53,000 for that you didn't feel like you could come and ask me? And it killed her to do, but, but she did. And it was absolutely unacceptable, but she did it. And we were able to get enough proof and enough evidence to be able to take to authorities to have the proper action taken.
0: Amazing. So- so interesting. All your stories. I could just sit here and talk to you all afternoon about this. You have a brand new executive presence elevated course uh, that at your company. So talk to me a little bit about this. Like why would somebody take this course? What what are they dealing with now where they think I need some consulting? I need, I need to know how, what are the steps in order to do this. But, but tell tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So, so Kara, the course came about at the beginning of the pandemic because I was talking to my peer group. I was talking to presidents and CEOs about how, what their talent looked like. And a lot of them were coming back saying flat. Um, the millennials are coming in and asking for promotions and they're not ready. They say that they want a VP job, but when I ask them what do they think that looks like, they weren't sure. Um, I don't, meaning the people that this was created for. I don't find them to be thought leaders. Um, they drop balls a lot. Um, I find that they're very fidgety and don't ask great questions. Um, they think that they're an influencer, but they're not really an influencer. They, you know, the, All of these questions were coming up for executives. And when I was talking to the mid-level managers. So think senior level managers to kind of associate VP. They were ticked because they had been passed over for a promotion or somebody from the outside had gotten a new promotion within the company. Um, they were frustrated because they they didn't seem as though they added value. They felt like all the projects they were getting were grunt work. Um, so I was like, how do I marry these two and create something very valuable? What does this look like? And so then I just started asking a lot of questions. We we interviewed about 500 um, anywhere from senior vice president globally to a lot of founders and said, what are you finding yourself in your talent? What would be the one or two problems I could solve for you within your organization for around talent? And it all came back to executive presence. It all came back to why are you getting promoted? It all, it all came back to your questions aren't very good. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't trust you with X, Y, Z. And so how do we get them to that level? And so one of the things that we did was when we were, when we were doing this is we sat down and we role played with them. Mm -hmm. We sat down with senior directors and I took them through an interview and I would rate them. And I was tough. I mean, I was, I was tough. I was like, what type of VP role are you applying for? I mean, hopefully it's online because if you don't know what a P&L is or you, you aren't sure how to, how to talk about you know an ROI or you don't know about a methodology. or y- if you're wasting your boss's time or you're putting so much into your boss to where you're not getting your things off your agenda, how is this helpful to anybody? So true. And we, we created this around this. and then what I did, Kara, is I basically met with five of my female um, previous clients or friends because they have a lot more emotion around the area about what's working in their organization and what's not. Mm -hmm. So things that where, um, gentlemen are a lot more fast paced and a lot more like numbers, um, oriented women are a lot more whole picture. What does the whole picture look like? Mm -hmm. We did that. Integrated a bunch of soft skills, self awareness, EQ. Where do you sit in a board meeting? How do you interact? What are the first questions? What are the second questions? How do you send out a, an agenda after the meeting on on minute notes and and who's taking what? And then how do you say no effectively and respectfully and kindly, but also get the ask taken care of? And we created that and put this into this course and. I gave it to them as corporate training and we just got like 55 star reviews in like two and a half weeks. And it just
0: really, it worked really well. That's awesome. So this is really for manager level, director level. I mean, is that kind of the sweet spot? Not necessarily CEOs. I mean, maybe CEOs would recommend it for their team, but it's, it's for um, you know, the mid-level managers, is that correct? That are a hundred
1: percent. I don't do any group coaching care with, with CEOs, CEOs, as you know, that's a whole person that's holistic. They don't want to share what's going on. If you coach uh, in performance, if you coach a CEO, you can't do that in a group setting and have it be authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, there's too many trust things that they don't want to necessarily share with other people or what's going on in their family or what's going on for them personally. Um, we don't coach anybody over a VP in any group setting. This is senior manager, director, senior director, all the way to like an associate VP or a brand new VP.
0: So, where do people find out about that course, just if they're interested in it? Absolutely. So, that course is at
1: Stephanymalik.com and my name is spelled with a Y. So, it's S T E P H Y N I E, Malik, M A L I K, dot com, and then
0: forward slash elevated. That's awesome. And you're so active on, on social platforms too. I love reading your stuff on on LinkedIn and and so many stories. I mean, you just I, I I just uh love hearing them all and there's so many learnings. I have so many questions about all of them. So I'm I'm holding back right now, but really, really interesting. Hopefully you'll have a book coming out at some point and you'll be able to share even more of that. I I think that's definitely in your horizon for sure. So uh, your your podcast is called Spin It as well. Yes, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. So look for that. And thank you for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We're here every Monday and Wednesday at the Kara Golden Show. I bring incredible guests on who share not only their own journey, uh, but also... Their failures along the way, their challenges along the way, and I think more than anything, I find that just by hearing people's stories, we hear that uh, it's not it, it's not perfection. Uh, it's not a silver spoon that was handed to them along the way. It's not. Uh, it, 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 the core thing is curiosity and getting back up again and and just going out and doing it. And that is clearly what Stephanie has done. So thank you so much. And thanks again, everyone. Uh, if, if you haven't picked up a copy of my book yet, The Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, I, I hope that you will do that and uh, come back and listen to our podcast. And hopefully you'll also pick up a case of hint if you haven't tried that either. So thanks, everyone. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for